Hello, and welcome to episode 176 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Charity D and or P, the newest members of the Modern Manager community. If you haven't yet explored how membership can help support your professional development, head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn about the resources and support systems I've set up that are ready to help you unleash your managerial greatness. Now, today's guest is Brant Cooper. Brant is the CEO of Moves the Needle, a New York Times bestselling author of The Lean Entrepreneur and upcoming book, Disruption Proof. Empower people, create value, drive change. Brandt has a unique take on disrupting our current way of thinking in order to be closer to customers, move faster, and act bolder. With over two decades of experience helping companies bring innovative products to market, he blends agile, design thinking, and lean methodologies to ignite entrepreneurial actions within large organizations. Brandt and I talk about the five E's of becoming disruption-proof and what you and your team can do to make better decisions and be prepared for whatever it is that the future brings. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brand. It is a pleasure to talk with you. I know you have a new book out and we're going to dive into all of this good fun. Great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So your new book is called Disruption Proof, Empower People, Create Value, Drive Change. What? Let's start like high level. Like why is being disruption proof important for managers to be thinking about? Like I get it for business leaders, but if you're a manager running a team, you know, inside of an organization, why should we be thinking about how to make ourselves or our teams disruption proof? Well, I think it's because the changes that come into a company based upon the disruptions that I'm talking about really come in from the edge. They come out from the world. They come in from the place where teams are working. And so they're, they're actually the first to experience the change, I think. And so there are behaviors that we need the front lines, the ground up to exhibit in order to really help the company survive disruptions. And so I'm not really talking just about the classic tech disruptions, but things like the pandemic, economic downturns, a ship getting stuck in a canal that disrupts global supply chains, you know, an energy grid collapse in Texas. All of these things ripple through the economy and they affect the business you know, it affects the, the outcomes of the business, but the people that experience it first are the people on the front lines. And so that's where the change has to happen in my estimation. That's where the behavior change needs to happen in order to protect the business, which of course, you know, protects the individual's job and, and, and allows them hopefully actually to contribute directly to the, to the success of the business. Yeah. And I so appreciate that you're talking about disruptions as more than just the standard our industry was disrupted, right? I think that model is kind of what at least I think about when I think about disruption into the business world. But that now we're at a point where there are all kinds of disruptions that happen. And sometimes it's not just our industry, right? It's the whole 
economy is the, the it's all Americans or all you know globally that are being impacted by a disruption and so it's not as easy to say oh if we were just paying more attention to this one thing in our industry we would have caught that and not gone out of business kind of thing like the you know the old Kodak story right yeah exactly right I mean so I think that the it, what I talk about sort of from a more macro perspective is this change from the industrial age to the digital age. And we're so interconnected and information and even misinformation, you know, moving at the speed of light. And and we're all running around with computers in our pockets that allow uh, our customers to make changes, to make choices in the moment. And all of those elements mean that the way we do business, I think, actually has to change the way we manage and structure business has to change because we have to be able to respond to those changes that are happening out in the world. And we have to build awareness of those changes into our daily work. So let's talk about what we can do because you have a model called the five E's. So why don't you walk me through that model? Sure. So first E is empathy. And so that generally in a consumer sense means understanding your customers deeply. It doesn't mean doing what your customers ask, but we want to learn about their needs, their problems, but even deeper than that, what are their aspirations? What are they hoping to achieve in their lives? We also should be applying that sort of thing internally, but just, just externally facing empathy is understanding our customers deeply. And then the second E is exploration. And so that's admitting what we don't know and being in learning mode when we don't know. And so going out and exploring where the answers are instead of just you know, pretending that the way it worked yesterday is is going to work tomorrow. Thirty is evidence, and that stands for evidence-informed decision-making so that we cut through our biases and, and use data and insights that we've gleaned in order to inform the decisions that we're making about what to focus on or what to do next. Uh, fourth E is equilibrium, and that's this idea of balancing our execution work with the exploration work. And I call this one out because in, in a lot of innovation writing, people talk about splitting up the company so that you've got you know, 95 or 99% of the company is in execution mode, which is just best practices and doing what we did yesterday. And then there's this little innovation silo and, and they can go off into exploration mode. But the new world means that we all face uncertainty. And when we face uncertainty, we can't just execute our way through it. We have to be in explore mode first. And so really it's up to managers to help their people, their teams, find what the right balance is based upon the amount of uncertainty they face. And then the final E is ethics. And I think that this is just, again, more important than ever in the digital age because of the the tools and the data and how fast things move and the changes that we can make measuring behavior and all of these things, you know, I guess it's, it's sort of represented by Facebook and, and YouTube these days, the, the problems with some of the digital technology. We have to maintain our, our corporate values and our personal ethics in what we as a business do. And so, again, I think we have to take concrete steps to make sure that the ethics of company's behavior is front and center from really the ground up again, from, from people working on, on the teams, on the, on the front lines. So those are the five E's. I mean, this is such a great list, right? Like you, it hits on so many different aspects of what it means to, to do our work. And I'm wondering why these five, like why not 
I'm just curious, kind of like how, how did these fives boil to the top? Yeah, that's funny. You know, I, I think I could probably go up to 10 E's pretty easily. But for the last seven or eight years, I've been teaching what we call lean innovation. And I've been bringing sort of the, what I call the entrepreneurial spirit to large companies. And it was based upon these lean innovation tactics, which is a combination of design thinking plus lean startup plus agile techniques. And it's our own sort of blend of these things that allow us to be in this exploration mode. And so I, we, were, we would just normally talk about empathy work that came out of the design thinking, rapid experimentation that came out of a lean startup. And then what do we do with that data? That's the evidence. And we, we teach people and leaders how to make decisions based on that. So we, we kind of naturally were running around talking about three E's and then as I was thinking through the book, I thought we were, we were a couple of short. There was this idea of balancing the work with the execution work. And so I came up with, you know, equilibrium occurred to me. And then I just really think with everything that's happened in the last few years with Facebook and, and YouTube and some of these other big tech companies, I, I really started thinking a lot about corporate values and how do we get them into our into our behavior. And so that's, that's really how the fifth the ethics one popped up. Um, there could be five other ones. Maybe they could be the five A's, but I, I went with the five E's. Well, I, I like these. And I, I love that ethics in particular is brought in because it's something that we don't talk about enough. I, I know I've only think maybe had one or two episodes where it's even come up in conversation. We talk a lot about like, how do you make people feel included? And how do you have a team that, you know, can work together effectively, but not enough about what do you do when you actually have to make tough choices and when you're right, you actually have to bring an ethical lens to the decisions that you make as a team or as a leader. So I'm glad to see that one in there. And I'm actually wondering if you have any stories or examples of how these play out for teams or for managers when when they're applying these different E's into their work. Yeah. So you know, I think that I we I probably have a ton of examples for the 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 exploration and the and the empathy. I think that their empathy is almost a corporate buzzword these days. And and but a lot of people sort of apply it as, hey, let's sit around a conference room table and pretend we're the customer. And what would they do in this particular situation? And so I think there's just a lot of work that we've done to try to get people to actually go and spend time with customers. And, and it sounds, I don't know, it, I guess it almost sounds trite, but it's the amount of learning that you can do there is just, it's just incredible. And so there's, a, there's an instance where a, a team, this was actually a startup team, spent two weeks with a huge you know, global 100 company just to watch their hiring practices. And this company struggled with hiring software engineers because it wasn't a tech company, but they needed to hire all of this software engineers for their digital transformation. And, you know, they had all sorts of assumptions about what they were going to build and what the customer needs were and what they found by just, they were allowed to just hang out with the hiring managers and with the HR people going through the process of interviewing candidates. And it was just mind blowing what they learned and uh, ended up building a platform that they sold to that company for a lot of money. And it was really based upon the learning by observing. And there's really all sorts of stories like that 
Intuit has a policy called follow me home, which is even executives have to follow. Well, they don't, it's not like they're stalking their customers, but they get permission (laughs) to go home with the customers or the customers actually come into uh, the headquarters and, you know, you, you plop the customer down in front of a tool that you've just developed or are developing and you watch them interact with it. And you learn so much based on the behavior. And this, I think what's really important about this is that you don't get this sort of thing in surveys. You don't even get it in interviews. This idea of just observing your customer in their own habitat is just really extraordinary uh, what you can pick up from that. Yeah, I remember when I used to run a meeting software business, we asked people if we could come in and watch their meetings. And that was one of the best ways that we got to see how different companies and different teams and different managers would run their meetings and everything from like who sat where to were were computers allowed in the room or not, how they took notes, where like where there were skilled facilitators and how that really helped the conversation flow and where they had agendas prepared and where they didn't. It was fascinating and really influenced how we then thought about who our target audience was, how we were going to structure our software. Yeah, there's there's nothing like getting to observe people in real life. Yeah, it just really, again, it cuts through, you know, just uh, the interviews and surveys and, and people trying to please you with their answers rather than, you know, telling what the truth is. And, and the worst one to me is asking customers, what would they do? You know, would you like this? And would you pay this? And would you do this? And customers are horrible at predicting their own future. So yeah, you know, I think that there's examples of all of those type of things. The experiments that we run are very disciplined experiments. So it's actually creating a hypothesis and projecting what we think the outcome will be. And if you imagine people out in the wild, like going to a mall and offering a coupon for something to see if they'll behave in a particular way, or, you know, one fun example that we used to do with leaders, because we have to be careful with what we ask leaders to do, (laughs) but they would go to a, a local subway, like a subway station and offer some sort of a coupon if people would take the stairs instead of the escalator. And the idea was they were trying to figure out if they could, what they might offer people to, for them to uh, improve their health or something like that. And so we used to design these fun experiments so leaders could go out and see that their assumptions are often incorrect about, about their customer behavior. And so again, it's, it's, uh, it's similar to the observation, but it actually has a hypothesis that people are going to behave in a particular way. And then we go out and measure whether it's true or not, people will behave that way. Oh my gosh, those those experiments sound so fun. And what a creative (laughs) way to start to just get some data in the door. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, it's, we live so much with our assumptions and I think it's really kind of the old school way of managing organizations is, you know, managers and leaders became managers and leaders because they're smart and successful and have great experience. But what we tend to do is bring that expertise to areas of uncertainty. And then we talk a lot about what we think will happen. And if it's within your domain expertise, you're, you know, maybe you're fine. But if it's really, truly, we don't know what the answer is, then all of the talking in the world just isn't going to get you closer to the real answer. So, so, so true. All right, let's talk about equilibrium because I remember reading a book that talked about exactly what you said, which was have your execution team over here and 
You have different processes for them. You have different ways of evaluating their performance. So like let that become a high, well-oiled machine and then have your innovation, your research, your experimentation happening over here because that takes different competencies and different ways of measuring success. And when you try to put them together, it just confuses everybody. But clearly that's not where the world is at right now. So what are some of the things that you are seeing people be successful with with trying to have that equilibrium, with trying to have that blend between doing well with the execution and at the same time being able to be in that experiment, you know, learning mode? Yeah, you know, there's a a case study in the book, actually, that I find absolutely fascinating. Uh, Gerber Technologies, which is not too far away from New York City in Connecticut, I think is where they're headquarters are, but it's a a company that makes digital fabrication equipment for fashion brands. And when COVID hit, they found, uh, uh, you know, some of their, their customers or, or their customers, manufacturers were in China and all of this production stopped. And so it just really hit their bottom line very quickly. And this is a company whose leader, one of their leaders, uh, Karsten Newberry, has been practicing this equilibrium for years. And so what they were able to do was within just a couple of weeks, few weeks, in, towards the end of March of 2020, they had released these patterns and these changes that could be made to the equipment so that all of these different fashion brands could start making PPE, they could start making masks and they could start making gowns. And they, within a couple of months, they had, you know, hundreds of their customers doing this and they were producing tens of thousands of these PPE material. And so that was their core business suddenly, right? That was their, that was what people were focused on. They didn't really stop the executing. They kept the normal fashion stuff going as much as possible, but in order to make up for the lost revenues, And in order to help their customers, they released all of these patterns and designs and how to change up the equipment and how to do these things in order to suddenly not only benefit a lot of people, but also keep the the production high. And so to me, that's a great example of in this face of, you know, the world and, you know, potentially endless disruptions, we can't just rely on some small percentage of the company able to respond in that way. And so this equilibrium mode, this fact that we've built in a certain part of the quote unquote entrepreneurial spirit or the innovation mindset into the core business allows everybody to sort of be aware of these changes and to suggest ways that they can overcome these obstacles. And you can run experiments to see what works and you can go talk to customers to try to figure out what would benefit them. And we're able to do it on the fly because we've built the, those capabilities into the core business. Now, not everybody's going to need it to the same degree, but again, everybody faces some degree of uncertainty. If you just try to execute through uncertainty, you will fail. So everybody can benefit to some degree. And it, you know, obviously, the the if your innovation group is out imagining how banking is going to look in ten years. Then that's, you know, that's a lot of exploration work. And if you want to put that into a separate group, that's totally fine. But it's really about everybody needing that spirit, that mindset to a certain degree. So I'm imagining now, like, 
I'm a manager. I got my marching orders. I have these goals I have to hit. How do I help bring my, you know, develop that innovation mindset or develop the capabilities for my team to be more responsive? You know, how do I introduce some of these ideas around, you know, setting hypotheses and trying some experimentation or even like suggesting to my boss, like, I think we should go out and observe our customers. Like, I, I want to go ask them, you know, can I have approval to go in and ask a customer to watch them? Like, what, where do I start? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that it, it, it sort of depends on individual situation, but I, I do think that there's an element of, you know, if you don't have to, don't ask for permission. If you can actually spend uh, half a day and take your team out to go talk to customers, you know, you, you kind of just do it. <laughs> but more formally, I think that I'm a big advocate of agile principles. I, I don't really mean the formal implementation of like a safe or a scrum, but there's a, the original Agile Manifesto. You can Google Agile Manifesto, and it really talks about how you empower teams to, to figure out what it is that they should be doing in order to drive the impact that they're supposed to be driving. And so there, there's a, a certain amount of a freedom that a manager is giving a team. You assign them a mission. This is what you need to accomplish. You work on the the metrics on how we're going to how we're going to measure the outcomes, but also the progress towards those outcomes. You build skills. So if you if you're if you're going to allow them to explore, then you teach them some of the experiments or the empathy development skill set, and you help them identify where is the uncertainty. How can we in, even in a even in a very execution minded part of the business. How can we improve that execution? Where is there uncertainty in what we're working on? Is there a possibility for us to get a big win? And so we should take one day out of the month and do something uh, different. So I think it's just trying to, in the agile world, they do sprints. So they, they, they look in their backlog of all of the things that they're supposed to be working on, or they know they need to work on. And you map out the work that you're going to do over some time duration, one week or two weeks or a month or whatever. And as a manager, what we just simply want to do is build in one of those exploration tasks, one of those exploration hours or days to get started. And I think that what you find is that, you know, you've hired smart people. And if you give them the time and space to exercise their their intelligence and their creativity, it actually inspires them and it makes them feel, you know, more wanted and more productive and they're more contented and happier employees are higher productivity wise. And so I think that the, the really the first step is take a couple hours and do it, you know, out of the week, even if you, if you do it in small enough chunks, I don't think you have to ask your boss. I think you just do it. And then you show the evidence to the bosses. So anytime you come up with insights or something that actually moved the needle of your team then that's when you can start sharing the results and and get buy-in for for more time and space for that type of activity. Yeah, I, I mean, what I'm hearing makes a lot of sense. And we talk about for entrepreneurs that there's time to work in your business and then there's time to work on your business. And it's almost the same model of there's time to be head down and focus on execution. And then there's time to shift and do the exploration, the learning, the empathy, you know, gathering <laughs> processes. And then it's not when we say they need to be balanced, it's not that we're trying to do them both at the same time. It's that we're actually carving out time for each so that we can be in those mindsets 
focusing on those types of conversations, those types of tasks. And if we start to, you know, schedule out those times for ourselves and for our teams, we create this kind of rhythm to our work where we're doing and we're learning and then we're, you know, sense making and then we're learning and then we're doing and it stops being this kind of blended like act I have to do all these different things and I can't keep my brain straight and instead becomes this kind of nice momentum that you build and this in the rhythm that you create in the cycle that happens where you're now able to really balance all of those learning activities and insight generations with the effective execution. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I it, so it's not it, it's not 50-50 either, right? I mean, we're just we're balanced you know, in an equilibrium sense can be 90-10. It's just that it's a settled, it's in the equilibrium when 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 you've found the right measures of each. And so it's it's it just has to be that conscious. So I mean, I, I we've had leaders, I've I remember this leader in particular, I think I even put this in the book too, where you know he would stand up or he would come to me and he would say, why can't I just tell my people to be more agile and that they go and be more agile? So I think that there's a lot of that in business, right? It's like customer centric and, you know, go figure things out. Don't worry about this or that, or don't just be execution, go figure things out. And we sort of declare those things, but what's really required is, is the conscious time and space and sense of safety that allow your people to do those things. And to be honest, I've struggled with that sort of quote unquote empowerment myself as a manager. I, you know, why can't I tell my people they're, they're allowed to go do it? Why aren't they acting empowered? And you really have to slow down and, and consciously teach people how to behave in a way that is acting empowered. So that's something that personally I've had to, to, do, to develop in my own managerial skills. I mean, I think that's something that many of us struggle with, right? Like it, things that come naturally to us and things that we want, it's so hard to, you know, to see other people and be like, why can't you just do this thing? <laughs> especially, especially something as ambiguous as go be empowered, right? Right. All right. Well, we are running out of time here. So, you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about a great manager that you had and what made this person so fantastic to work for? Well, I think that, the, so there's a, when I was at Tumbleweed Software, there was a, a he was the CFO, Joe Consul. And this is going to be, it maybe is going to see, seem simple and trite, but I guess I was just sort of young and always did my, things my own way. I mean, I, I joke that the reason why I, I went out on my own was because nobody wanted to manage me. I was like such a horrible employee because I, I had to do things my own way. But what Joe did is actually taught me how to view almost everything as, as a project or a product even. And I, you know, I was an IT guy at, the, at that point. And so I had services and the, the, uh, my colleagues were internal customers. And sort of framing things in that way helped me, helped me figure out that there was more than just doing the service. There was in a sense, even, you know, marketing and selling and trying to figure out if I've got the service right and there's follow-up and support, you know, it, it sort of fills out this whole customer journey. And it was just, it was just sort of giving me this light into a different way to view my job. And I think it actually fundamentally changed the way I looked at, you know, sort of everything that I did afterwards. Wow. What a gift to, to receive that perspective. Yeah, no, I was pretty... 
<laughs> I'm trying, I'm thinking back about how um, unmanageable I was at the time. <laughs> I actually learned something. All right. And where can people learn more about you, Brant, and keep up with your work and get a copy of your book? Yeah. So books should be available at all your favorite uh, retailers, including all of your local independent bookstores. But, you know, there's more information and other goodies if you go to BrantCooper.com. And I am Brant Cooper on all social media. And so I really encourage people to not only check it out, but reach out. I respond to all messages and emails at Brant at BrantCooper.com. So I hope to I hope to hear from you all. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and all of your your insights and your wisdom today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a fun discussion. Members of the Modern Manager get a downloadable reference of the five E's, which you can print and display in your office to help you remember to embrace empathy, exploration, evidence, equilibrium, and ethics in your work. To get this guest bonus, along with access to prior guest bonuses, episode guides, and other member benefits, go to themodernmanager.com slash join and sign up today. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. You can find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player, and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.